It has been uh, 11 Sundays since I preached. I think the last Sunday was the last Sunday in May, and uh, I'm certainly glad to be back in the pulpit. That's the most time I've been away from the pulpit since I started the ministry 25 years ago. Most I'd ever missed were two Sundays in a row in those 25 years. So I'm a little bit rusty today. I asked Jeanette to look over my sermon notes and to cross out anything that she thought I shouldn't say, and that's what I got back. So in conclusion, no, I, I do have something to say. Most of you know my struggle. I've, you know, had some health. Turns out I have an autoimmune disease. Uh, they got me on some medicine for that. I also have a very rare skin disorder. Talk to John after the service. He can pronounce it for you. And, and uh, the medicine for the autoimmune seems to be helping that skin disorder a little bit. But it's been a struggle. And I was really down low during that time. Uh, you may see the picture. That's me behind all those IV bags and and all that stuff. And I, uh, I'll tell you, one of my lifelong dreams came true while I was in the hospital. Every year at Thanksgiving, I love turkey and dressing and gravy, especially the gravy. And I've always said, I wish I had an IV bag and a needle. I'd just put that gravy straight in. But I want you to look at something here. You see that up there? Now, it was going in through a feeding tube but that's as close to getting a turkey gravy through an IV needle as I think I'll ever get. But I really appreciate y'all through all of this, and I'm going to try not to, not to tear up here a little bit. This is, I tried to save every card, and it took a gallon-sized Ziploc bag to hold them all. And every one of these was an encouragement and meant so much to me. And I will probably save these until I die because this is part of what helped me to survive what I went through. And a lot of it is every one of these cards says, we're praying for you. And I believe that prayer is the main thing that helped me to get through this situation. But today is not about me. It never is. It's about Jesus. And it's about what Jesus Christ is, is doing in our lives and in our world today. And sometimes so many people get confused and they think God is not at work. He's not, he's not doing stuff. Because there's so much that's going on. And trust me, when you're laying in a hospital bed and, and thoughts run through your mind and you're thinking, maybe, maybe I won't make it through this. I mean, there was a point when I really started to think about that and you look to God and you ask that question, why? Why me, God? Why, why is this happening to me? I mean, I was serving you and I was in the middle of doing ministry. Why have you allowed this to happen to me? And often many of us face situations where we ask that why question. You know, we began our year this year with our theme for the year being restore. Little did I know that I was going to be part of, of a restoration process myself. 
But we did that because we know churches everywhere are down because of, of the COVID that we've had to deal with for the last two years. And we're not giving up. We're going to restore our church. And, you know, we, you heard a little bit about that last weekend as, as we had Gary Johnson, our church coach, come in and speak. But today I want to help you think through a why question. And it's a big question. If God is good, why is there suffering and pain and evil in this world? I mean, if God is good, why does that happen? Why do we have those things going on? You know, there's a lot of questions that you could ask uh, of those why questions, and we'll address this one today. But you start to think, God, why, why was I even created if you allow something like this to happen to me? Or why should I believe in you, God, if you're going to let something happen like this? Or why should I follow your son, Jesus? And the Bible tells us the most important thing we could do is love God and love others. Why? Why should we love? And over the course of this series, we're going to address those questions with our new series simply called Why? You know, our world is filled with suffering and pain and evil. I mean, if you just go back and think about, you know, the war in Ukraine. Is, look at the thousands of people that have been affected by that that are suffering. And what about all the political corruption that's going on in our world today? Certainly that is, is causing pain. It is evil. And, you know, people are dealing with that. And what about these mass shootings? <coughs> Excuse me. Gary mentioned last week there was a weekend when there were 11 mass shootings in the United States in one weekend. I went back and did some research on that. Turns out in those 11 mass shootings, which a mass shooting is more than four people who were shot in one incident, not counting the, the perpetrator, in that one weekend, 15 people dead, 60 other people were wounded. Those shootings happened in eight different states. Pennsylvania, uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, at a graduation party in South Carolina. There were multiple weekend shootings in the state of Arizona. There were shootings in Texas, in Georgia, New York, and Michigan. All on that same weekend, 11 different shootings. This article said, 156 days into 2022, which was June the 5th, this was a Sunday, the country had had 246 mass shootings to put the U.S. on track for one of the deadliest years on record since they started counting these mass shootings. And we all remember the incident in Buffalo, New York, where 10 people were killed in a grocery store, or the school in Uvalde, Texas, the Robb Elementary School, where 19 students and teachers were killed. Senseless killings. These killings were, were pure evil. And what about the flooding that's been going on around our country? And what about all the disease and the sickness and the mental health issues which usually lead to those shootings. And domestic violence. 
Did you know there are 10 million instances of domestic violence in our country every year? The child abuse. Catholic Church is to blame for a lot of that. Sex trafficking. And on and on I could go. All this brings suffering into people's lives. And if God is good, why does he allow suffering? You know, he doesn't cause it. Believe it or not, he doesn't cause it. Suffering, of course, is a result of pain or a result of evil that's perpetrated on someone. That pain, it may be uh, physical pain, it may be mental or emotional pain that people go through. But listen to me, this is not what God intended. It is not what God intended for this earth. And I want to take you back today. I want to take you back to the book of Genesis, where this all started. And in the book of Genesis, of course, the first two chapters record the uh, creation of the earth and how that all came about. And God made the first two people, Adam and Eve, and put them on the earth. And he said, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take care of this garden. And I want you to uh, not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. And the Bible says they were naked and felt no shame. You know, if this incident I'm going to talk about in chapter 3 uh, didn't happen, it's possible we'd all be sitting here naked today. And for some of us, that's scary, but it shouldn't be. Because that's the way God created it to be originally. But you know, you get into chapter 3, and then here comes the serpent. And the serpent went to Eve, and he said, Oh, you can eat from that tree. God was just jerking your leg and, and you know, he, he just didn't want you to be like him. So you can eat from that tree and everything will be fine and you'll see how good it is. And you won't die. Because God had told them they would die if they ate from that tree. And Eve ate and she gave Adam some of the fruit and he ate and their eyes were opened and guess what happened? They realized for the first time, we're naked. The first sin came into the world, and God was not happy. And God appears to Adam, and he said, where are you? Adam was hiding, and, and, and God said, where are you, Adam? And Adam said, well, I was naked, and so I hid. And God began to tell them, because of what they had done, that this was what was going to happen. First, he put a curse on the serpent, which Jesus tells us is the devil, Satan himself. You'll crawl on your belly and eat of dust, and I will put enmity, that is, opposition, between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, Satan and you will strike his heel. That's a Hebrew way of saying something. What it was talking about, this is in, in the Greek language, it's called the Proto-Evangelum, that verse, which means first gospel. Because this is pointing to the fact that there's going to come a day when Satan is going to try to take the Son of God out. But God will rise victorious over that and crush Satan. 
But there's this curse on Satan. Then he said to the woman, you're going to have problems too. You're going to have pain in childbearing, and it's going to be severe. And then listen to this, he said to Adam. To Adam he said, because you and your wife have ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat from it. In the days of your life, all the days of your life, it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. There's going to be suffering because of this first sin that came into the world. You will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And that ground is cursed. In fact, that word doesn't just mean ground, it means earth. The whole earth was cursed. It goes on to say that Adam named his wife Eve, and the Lord God made garments out of animal skins to cover their nakedness. And they will be left out of the garden, no longer have access to the tree of life, which would give them eternal life. And they were no longer allowed to return to that pristine place, that garden where God had intended his people to live, a paradise, if you will. The earth was cursed. What I want you to see first today is that there is suffering because the earth is cursed due to sin. Our world is broken. Now, not, not everything is wrong. There's still good in the world. Things are, are not as bad as they could be. They're not as good as they should be. Did God know this was going to happen? Yes, he did. He knows everything. He knew what was going to happen. But you know what? Everything since I've been going through this illness and everything I've been reading and the, the preachers I've been listening to and, and listening to uh, our church coach last weekend, everything that God is saying to me through the Holy Spirit is telling me, preach the truth. To these people don't sugarcoat it and let people know we live in this in this sinful world where there's suffering and there's pain and there's evil you know the Bible never teaches like some of the TV preachers say that if you just give your life to Jesus everything's gonna be perfect and you won't have to be worried anymore and you're gonna be rich it doesn't teach that that's not truth the truth is no matter who you are, at some point you're going to face suffering and you're going to face pain and you're probably going to face some evil coming against you. And you know what? Listen to this. This is Apostle Paul writing 2 Timothy 3.13. Evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. That's biblical truth. And over in 2 Timothy 4, 3, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. He's talking about people in the church. 
They won't put up with the, with the solid truth of the Scripture. And it goes on to say, instead, they will suit their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and aside to myths. They don't want to hear what God wants. So many people just want to, want to hear you know, how, how they can have the blessed life. And God will bless your life if you follow Him. But it's not all going to be rosy. Look at His own Son, Jesus. He faced death on a cross. And the truth is, the Bible calls us to be like Jesus. You know something that I realized when I was laying in the hospital bed? There are two times when we are most like Jesus. One of those is when we love other people, because that's what Jesus did. He loved other people. The other time when we're most like Jesus is when we suffer. When we suffer. He suffered. He suffered more than just a cross. He suffered ridicule and people trying to kill him. He suffered greatly. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3.10, I want to know this Christ. And I want to know His power. And I want to suffer with Him for His glory. You think about this curse that we've talked about. Because Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they sinned. They were removed from the garden. The woman's going to have this pain in childbearing to, to ground the earth. And Adam's going to have to labor and toil by the sweat of his brows. He's going to have to suffer. It's going to be painful to live life. You think about the ground being cursed. That's where we get our food. We, were it not for the ground, we couldn't live because we wouldn't have food. We wouldn't have animals because they lived off of the produce of the ground just like we do. We were created out of that ground. And we inherited the sinful nature of Adam. And so we can't just point back to Adam and say it's all your fault. Because we have all sinned. Romans 5.12 says, there Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Our world is broken. It's filled with sin. It's filled with evil. And it brings suffering. Again, I say, we're not as bad as we could be. We're just not anywhere close to being as good as we should be. You know, when you think about sin, a lot of people like to think it's, it's the wrong that everybody else does. But sin is anything that goes against the will of God. It's rebellion against God. Anytime God says to do something, we don't do it, we sin. Yeah, you think about Adam and Eve's sin. They simply took a bite out of a piece of fruit and it brought death into the world. But they went against the will of God. Second thing I want you to see is sin came about because God created us with free will. We studied the Sermon on the Mount uh, over the summer. You had some good teachers. John was one of them. There's several others. Uh, I don't see anybody else in here right now that preached, but, but we had some good teaching through that Sermon on the Mount. In that sermon, in chapter 5, verse 21 and 22, Jesus talked about sin. 
And he said, you have heard it said, do not murder. And in this little two verses here, he helps us understand something about sin. Sin can be what you do. A murder is something that you do. It can be other things that you do, like stealing or lying or whatever. Sin can also be what you think. Jesus goes on in those same two verses. He talks about being angry with someone. And he said that's just as bad as murder. So anger happens in the mind. So sin can be these evil thoughts that come into your mind. Depends on how you act on it. But sin can be in your thoughts. Sin can also be what you say. He goes on in those same two verses to talk about calling someone raka. That was a derogatory term used in their day. It's an Aramaic word. It means fool. And so sin can be what we do, what we think, what we say. Did you know what else? Sin can also be when we fail to do the right thing. James 4.17, if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. You know, we need to understand sin because it's causing the problems, many of them, of this world. And God gave us this free will. Now, what is that? That's freedom of choice. Every one of us in this room has a freedom of choice. Otherwise, God would have had to make us puppets and so that He controlled our lives and everything we did. But He gave us this free will, this freedom of choice. And God says in His Word, He said, the most important thing you can do is love Him, and the second is to love other people. So we are called to be that love. You know, when you fail to love others, that's a sin. You fail to do the right thing. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses, chapter 30, was about to die. He addressed the people, and he told them, he said, Look, I'm, I'm not going with you. Joshua's going to lead you into the promised land. But I want you to hear what he had to say to the people there in chapter 30. He said, Look, God's put before you all these blessings. He's also put before you curses. The blessing are He's going to take you into a land of your own and you will prosper and you will be blessed if you love Him with all your heart, with all your soul. And then He says this in verse 11. Now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in the heavens so that you have to ask who will ascend to the heavens and get it and proclaim it that, so that we may obey it. It is not beyond the sea, so that you have to ask who will cross the sea and get it and proclaim it so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you, it is in your mouth, it is in your heart, so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God and walk in obedience to Him and keep His commands, decrees and laws. And you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless the land you are entering to possess. And he drops on down to verse 19. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, 
blessings and curses. Now choose life. You see, we have a choice to make. Are we going to choose God's way? Or are we going to choose our way? Are we going to love God? Follow Him, receive His blessings? Or are we going to go the other way? You know, we ask, why is all this pain and suffering? Point to yourself. Because we've all sinned. We're all a part of it. And that's just the truth. But you know what I want you to see lastly here? God uses suffering and pain and evil to his glory. And somebody might say, really? How, how can God use all that suffering to his glory? You know, God's always at work, especially in the lives of believers. In the non-believers, he's at work trying to, to bring them to a knowledge of their sin so they will understand that they need to repent and turn to him. But in the lives of believers who are truly have faith in following God, he is at work. And listen to some of the ways that he is at work. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is where I want to start. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And it says there in the, in the very beginning of that, God talks to the people about comfort. I want you to write that word comfort in your, in your outline. But we say we're talking about suffering, and now you want to change the subject to comfort. But you know, if we never had to suffer, how would we know the comfort that God can bring to our lives? How would we come to understand what God can do? And God comforts His people. And it goes on to say that He comforts them so they can comfort other people, and especially, I think, people that don't know Him, that we are supposed to show the comfort to Him. Listen to what it says here. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So God uses suffering to show His power to bring comfort and to help us come to understand that we need to be part of the process in comforting others. That love your neighbor thing, God meant that. He really did. We're going to talk about that in the last message in this, uh, in this series. You know what? When, when I was in the hospital, I had so many nurses. I didn't have a bad nurse the whole time I was in there. And uh, some of them were better than others, but I didn't have a bad one. And I have a whole new appreciation for what they do. I mean, they would come in there sometimes and they would spend an hour working with me comforting me. Many of these nurses were believers, and boy, they, they really helped me as I had my struggle with my illness. Fifteen days there in the hospital. But I felt comfort. I felt the presence of God comforting me, too. I have a friend, Dave Wheeler. He's a professor at Johnson Bible College. Um, he uh, tells a story about a time when he got a phone call from a family and they, were, uh, they had a, a family member that was passing away and they wanted him to come. All the family had gathered. They wanted him to come and pray with them. And so Dave goes over to the hospital. He gets on the elevator and he remembered what he was taught in Bible college 
always put a breath mint in before you go to uh, be with the family because you're going to be close and you're going to be praying. You don't want bad breath when you're praying. So he's got this little box of Tic Tacs. Remember the Tic Tacs, the little green mints? And he pops one of those in his mouth and he's riding up the elevator. Well, he coughs and when he does, that Tic Tac went back up his throat and got stuck up in his sinus. And he said, man, I was suffering. I was riding up the elevator and this thing is burning and green stuff is running out of my nose. And by that time, the elevator opened and there was a whole family to greet me. And they grabbed me and whisked me into that room. He said, by now my eyes are just streaming with tears and, and, and here I am because this is burning so bad. And he thought, God, you've got to help me. And then all of a sudden it just went away. And he was able to pray. He said, I look like the most sympathetic minister in the world. Tears in my eyes and green stuff coming out of my nose. But I prayed with that person and brought comfort to that family. He said, but I learned something that day. You put a tic-tac in your mouth and your breath will smell fresh. You put a tic-tac up your nose and everybody's breath will smell fresh. But sometimes we have to suffer in the midst of, of trying to bring comfort to other people. Drop on down here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 to verse 8. Because here God uses suffering to teach reliance. Paul thought he was going to die. He was in Ephesus, we think. And he was being persecuted because he was teaching people not to worship idols. And there was a silversmith named Demetrius who was, was there. And he was losing business because he sold these shrines and idols to other people. And he incited all the people of Ephesus. This was a place of worship of the god, Ar, goddess Artemis. And they had a big temple there and they were famous for this. And, and so this silversmith was trying to persecute Paul, maybe even kill him to keep him from teaching people against worshiping this goddess that they promoted. And, and so while Paul's there, he says, I thought I was going to die. This is what it says, verse 8, or verse 9. Indeed, we felt the, that we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul had to suffer. God used that suffering to teach him to rely on God. Luckily, the city clerk calmed the people down, uh, and Paul was able to overcome and get away from those people. So God sometimes uses suffering to teach us to rely on Him. Now, I want you to go to uh, the book of Hebrews. And some of us won't like this. Hebrews 12, 4 through 11 talks about discipline. God sometimes uses suffering to discipline us. You know, he treats his people like a good father would. In fact, God is the perfect father. He has perfect love for his people. And he does discipline and he does use suffering. Now, that discipline may come in the form of pain that we have to go through, whether mental or physical. It may come in the form of rebuke. Maybe you're reading the Word of God and something stands out and you say, oh, God's rebuking me and 
that can be painful. Or it may be the Holy Spirit convicts you of something in your life and you suffer a little bit and you go through that. It may come in the form of another person or a preacher or a teacher who says something and it goes right to your heart and convicts you and you suffer through that. But God, if you're a believer and you get off track, God's going to try, like a good father, He's going to try to correct you and discipline you. And listen to what He says in verse 7 there. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as His children for what children are not disciplined by their father. So God is using, listen, God uses suffering. Maybe to teach us about comfort, maybe to teach us to rely on Him, maybe to teach us that He's going to discipline us and to turn us to the place that He wants us to go. I'm not through. Go to James chapter 1. Here we learn about perseverance and maturity. You know what perseverance is? It's persistence to do something despite a difficulty. In times of distress, we have to persevere. And that leads to growth spiritually. In James chapter 1 verse 2, consider it, listen to this, pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That is opposition, and that brings suffering. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So God uses suffering sometimes to help us learn perseverance and then to mature. You know, through COVID, man, we've had to persevere. Churches everywhere. Many have closed. And some are not dying and they're not doing anything about it. I, I post in our agenda for our staff meeting every week, I always put at the top of the page, Galatians 6-9, let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up, if we persevere. And you know what has happened also through all of this suffering that we've gone through this? Our staff has matured, we have learned and we have, we have seen some things that maybe we did wrong in the past and we need to change and we've learned some new ways of doing things and we're not through yet. But you see, God wants you to grow. And when you have to suffer, just like Jesus had to suffer, we can grow from that and that's what God wants to do in that. One more, 1 Peter chapter 1. He helps us to develop genuine faith through our suffering. You know, it's in the suffering that you really come to know who God is. But only if you hold on to Him in faith. If you start shaking your fist at Him and forget about Him and quit praying to Him, then the suffering is just going to get worse. And Peter's writing to a people here that are being persecuted because they are Christian people. Because the people of the Roman Empire did not like Christianity because it called into question all their other gods. It called into question the authority of their king, Caesar. And they were being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. And listen to what Peter says. First of all, in, in verse 3 on down to verse 6, he goes through this thing and he says, look, you got a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. You've got an inheritance in heaven. You've got God's power at work on your side. <coughs> Excuse me. 
And in all this, he says, verse 6, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your, the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The proven genuineness of your faith. He said, you're going to have to suffer a little bit, but that's just going to help you prove to yourself. You don't need to prove it to God. He knows. It'll help you prove to yourself that you are a faithful follower of the Lord God. It's, it's worth more. That faith, it says, is worth more than gold. You know why it's worth more than gold? This earth is going to be destroyed. Over in, uh, in, first, in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter talks about everything's going to be laid bare. The earth is going to be destroyed. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. That gold that's on the earth, it ain't going to that new heaven and new earth. It's going to be destroyed. But you know who's going to that new heaven? People with faith. That's why faith... You know, why would you want to worship something that's a gold idol? Why would you want to worship something that's temporary? You have faith in God, it's eternal. And God's trying to help you see that in your life. And sometimes He uses suffering. God uses suffering in all these areas to help us to become what He wants us to be. God using the suffering that results from the pain and the evil that he didn't cause. It was brought in because of Satan's temptation and because people followed his way instead of God's way. But here's what I want you to see today. There's coming a day for all believers when there will be no more suffering. No more suffering. And when you face suffering in this world, God is there for you. But what we ought to do is we ought to ask ourselves, God, what are you up to? Are you teaching me about comfort? Are you teaching me to rely more on you? Are you, are you disciplining me for something that I need to change? Are you helping me mature and teaching me how to persevere through trouble? Are you building my faith? Don't shake your fist at God, but turn to Him and talk to Him. And He will work and reveal to you. Revelation. Listen, Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Verse 1 through 4. And then I saw the new heaven and the new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from those who were saying, Look, the dwelling place of God is now among his people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. There will be no more suffering. And if you go over to chapter 22, God tells them, you know, I'm going to restore back that Garden of Eden 
A river of life is going to run through it. There'll be the tree there, the tree of life, and you can eat from that and have eternal life. And in verse 3 there in chapter 22, he says, no longer will there be any curse. It's been lifted. And that will be the dwelling place of God's people. That's what we have to look forward to. But you know what you got to do? You got to hold on in faith, no matter what you face in this world. Henry Dempsey is an airplane pilot, and Henry was uh, flying a commuter flight from Portland, Maine to Boston, and he heard a strange noise coming from the back of the plane. He went back to investigate, turned the controls to the co-pilot, and when he got back there, he discovered what was wrong. There was a latch on that door that wasn't secure, and it was making a noise, and so he went to... Uh, fixed the latch, and as he went to fix the latch, they hit some turbulence, and he was thrown against the door, and it popped open, and Henry went out of the plane. The co-pilot immediately saw a light came on that the door had been opened, and he realized that the pilot had fallen out of the plane. He radioed in to the nearest airport. They were flying over the ocean. He said, send helicopters to search for for the body of this man and let him land in an emergency landing and they did in about 10 minutes he was able to get that plane down and land at that airport when he did they discovered that Henry had grabbed hold of the ladder that was hanging down from the bottom of that plane and he was holding on and he was somehow able to fly at 4,000 feet going, I forget how many miles, 200 miles an hour, and keep his head held up not so it wouldn't bump the runway. It was only 12 inches below the bottom of where that ladder was hanging down, and he was saved. And it said when the rescue people got out to where Henry was at underneath that plane, they literally had to pry his fingers off of that ladder, and he was saved because he held on. Now, I'm telling you here today, you hold on to Jesus Christ. You hold on to him with a death grip, with all your might. No matter what you face, when you suffer, when, when there's pain, when evil comes against you, because he is the answer. Hold on. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your care for us. Even in a broken world, where stuff just doesn't go right, where we sometimes have to suffer. Sometimes we bring it on ourselves. Sometimes others bring it on to us. Uh, it, it's a broken world. And we know we, we have good, but there's a lot of evil. And we have to deal with it. And the only way that we can deal with that, and the only way that's going to matter about dealing with that, is if we hold on to you. So my prayer today is that you help us to understand there will be suffering and pain and evil. That doesn't mean you're not good because in the midst of all that, you are working for our good. Help us to hold on. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.